Welcome to another episode of How to Read the Bible. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, and here again with Benjamin Kant. How are we doing, Ben? Hey, Nate. Doing well. Looking forward to talking about Song of Songs. Song of Songs, yes. It's a, it's a very interesting way to start the year. We um, Just to catch the listeners up, if you haven't been keeping up with us, a while ago we went over our own kind of Bible reading plans and just the, not plans in the sense of what we read every morning, but plan in the sense of how we plan to read the Bible every day. Mm-hmm. And last week we went through the five C's or uh, kind of handles that you can hold on to that will help you develop any habit, but specifically Bible reading. And so now we're going to kind of go back to what we've been doing through most of the fall and recapping a little bit of what we what we read the week before, some observations, some things that stood out to us. Um, but we're going to do it a little bit different this week because... We spent the week in Song of Song, and we're rather than focusing in on any one chapter, we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit with some observations and a few more big picture things. Um, listeners can go back and listen to our episode last week that I did with Josh Kessler that is more of an introduction to the book, situating it in scripture, giving some genre considerations, but this will be more reading the song devotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have another episode coming up later this week, but... We won't get into that. You'll have to wait for it. Mm-hmm. So, Ben, what um, in your reading this past week, what what stood out to you? What's uh, What caught your eye? Yeah. Well, the first thing I need to say is that I'm just assuming that the way to read this book, the Song of Songs, is to read it as if this is a, uh, a collection of love poems between Christ and his bride, the church. I'm assuming a lot in saying that, right? Um, mm-hmm. You and I are both very helped by Robert Alter's translation of the Hebrew Bible, um, that we're reading through this in, and he's incredible at pointing out the literary features of the text. And yeah, but he does not take that approach. He does not believe that this is God in Israel. He does not believe that this is Christ in the church. Um, and so that's not an. You, you can't just assume that. And so, mm-hmm. but I'm deferring to the podcast that's going to release a little bit later, and the one that you did with Josh Kessler. Yeah, well, maybe we can we tell listeners this. We'll have an extended defense of reading the song this way later mm-hmm. this week. But but a couple points to that is. Um, both Jews and Christians have read the Song of Songs that way for millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, Rabbi Akiva, uh, a really well-known rab- rabbi in the um, in the rabbinical tradition in Judaism, says if all of the Scripture is holy, then the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. Well, that's a big claim. Yeah. He's essentially saying the Song of Songs is the the sanctum sanctorum, the innermost courts of the temple as they are related to the other books of scripture. Mm. Well, what would make him say that? He would never say something like that unless he believed that there's an intimacy between God and Israel portrayed in this book. Yeah. Um, uh, another a theologian I'm, I'm really fond of, a guy named Michael Reeves, talked about how the Song of Songs was the most preached on Old Testament book in the Christian church until 1800. In other words, pastors in in the church from, you know, time Jesus ascended until 1800s when they were thinking about, what can I preach on from the Old Testament for my people? Song of Songs was at the top of that list, which isn't true for us today. Right. Um, and, and there's a reason why that is. And, and I think it's because we've moved away from seeing this primarily as a love song between Christ and his bride, the church. Um, and, and so the, my final just like biblical defense is Ephesians 5.32, right? Paul talks about marriage. And he says this mystery, speaking about marriage, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so we're not saying that Song of Songs is not about a, a husband and wife or a, a romance between two people. We're saying it's just not ultimately about mm-hmm. that. 
Yeah, because on the surface, it's and this we talked about this in our intro podcast. It's very obviously ancient love poetry, mm-hmm. just on the surface of it. It, it doesn't. It, it's there are double entendres to be sure, but they're not spiritual double entendres, so to speak. They're actual traditional double entendres with That's sexual right. undertones to them. Yeah, um, and so it, it is that in one sense, but then as we look ahead at the New Testament, it's, uh, oh, if this is love poetry, the ultimate example of love is mm-hmm. Christ for his church. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's right. And as I said earlier, Robert Alter really heightens uh, the erotic nature of this poetry. I mean, he's he's not um, making any uh, – he, he's very clear that, there, that this is intended to be sexual in mm-hmm. many ways or or considerably erotic in its in its ways of talking um and so that actually poses a challenge then if what i'm saying is true that this is christ in the church um especially for us men reading this book right yes (laughs) uh because we're not the male in this scenario we are in the female role um and and so that's why it's important to say it's christ and his bride the church the whole people of god Mm. um that's really significant so it's not necessarily me and jesus although it is that because i belong to that bride um, and so there is an, a real intimacy there. And Augustine of Hippo made the point that um, that in God's family, he treats all of us as if we're only children. Um, in other words, Jesus would have died for each of us as much as he died for all of us that are in his bride. Um, so with that in mind, what I want to talk about is how do you read the Song of Songs devotionally? And by that, what I mean is how do you read the Song of Songs in a way that stirs your affections for Jesus? We said last week, uh, in our in our podcast with the five C's that um, Augustine has this other quote that says, if if you're not growing in the double love of God and neighbor as a result of reading the scriptures, you're not reading them right. And so what I want to do is how do you actually read um, the Song of Songs, but all of scripture really in a way that stirs up your affections for Jesus, that actually kindles love for him um, in a way that that wouldn't be there if you weren't reading the text this way. Yeah. Okay. So, in order to do that, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit uh, transparent here, and I'm gonna read excerpts from my uh, personal journal um, as I've been reading through and journaling through and praying through the Song of Songs um, in community Bible reading. Um, and I said before in a previous podcast we did at the end of 2020 that my kind of flow and how I journal is in, up, out. Mm-hmm. So I start with in, which is what's going on in my heart. Like, where am I emotionally? Where am I in my thought life? Where am I just as I sit down with my Bible and my journal? Um, And usually I split that between grief and gratitude. Like, what am I grieved about? What's burdening me? And what am I grateful for? What am I eager about? So that's the first kind of like quarter of my page. Um, The next, you know, half of my page is, is the up, which is I'm writing, I'm jotting scriptures down as I go. I'm writing references. I'm, I'm jotting down particular verses. And then the, the final part of that is the out, which is as I'm jotting those down, I'm usually writing kind of um, re- my responses, my prayerful responses to each of the, those verses. So for instance, on Tuesday, uh, January 5th, uh, we were reading, I read Song, Song of Songs um, chapter 2. And, and in there, I wrote down Song of Songs um, 2, verse 4. Now, the translation I'm using here is Robert Alter's. But, um, and in there, there was a, a, a very simple phrase that said, His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. And Alter points out that that banner is a, it's a military metaphor. Mm. It's, it's the kind of banner that a, that a king with his troops would go out to battle or come back from battle, um, waving their flag, if you will. And so I journaled underneath that. These are my words. Jesus, you are the conquering king. 
the unequaled warrior. You subdue me to yourself, not as a subject, nor as a conscript, but as a lover. That was two sentences. Mm. But it was, but it was a, my heart is stirred by the fact that his banner, this military banner over me is one of love. I'm not a slave in his army. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not some conquered captive in, in that sense. Now, I am a captive and I am conquered, but it's because my heart wants to love so many other things than the very thing it was made to love, namely Jesus. And so I'm grateful for his, um, in that language of you subdued me to yourself is actually the language of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, when it asks the question, what does it mean that Christ is, is our king? It says that he subdues us to himself. And I love that language. It's so rich. So that was on Tuesday. Now I fast forward or flip a few pages here. You can probably literally hear me flipping pages to Wednesday, the next day. Uh, we read Song of Songs 3. And particularly chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When I held him, when I held him, I love so, I held him and did not let go. And Alter, one of the things we love about him, I think, is he tries to keep the poetic element because he really values the literary beauty of, yeah. of the Hebrew Bible. And so you can hear that there. When I held him, I love so, I held him and did not let go. And so I just wrote that verse down, and then I have a whole like paragraph, I mean, like half of a page of response, but I'm just going to read the first few sentences here. My response to that was, Lord Jesus, you are he whom I love so. Let me be like the fearless lover who takes great risk to search you by night when she cannot sleep. She searches until she finds you. Let me ask, seek, knock for the one thing that I ask for. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty and inquire in his temple. I want you, King of glory. I want to hold you and not let you go. So, that's just my response. I'm, I'm trying to stir up my soul. Like if you mm-hmm. hear the effort in there, it's purposeful. Um, it, it, it's what's what we call meditation. Yeah. I'm taking this text and I'm, I'm meditating on it. I'm, I'm applying my soul with the scripture and the situation. That's what we define meditation as. And I'm bringing those three things together in a way where I'm talking about, I want to be a, I want to seek after you like this woman in Song of Songs where she's out at night, which we know is super dangerous for a woman. And she's seeking out her lover. She's searching near and far because she wants him so bad. And I want that to be my posture with Jesus. I want to seek him with that kind of risk-taking intensity. Yeah. And part of what I hear you saying as well is kind of a, a, a meta comment is you're telling yourself to some degree what to feel mm-hmm. in response. Yes. Um, we, you and I can trace back a few few years ago to where maybe an overused phrase of preach the gospel to yourself mm-hmm. came up. Um, and it, in some ways, it sounded a lot like literally just that, like I'm just supposed to remind myself of the gospel and like its story form or something mm-hmm. like that. But this is a much more nuanced and I think more relevant way of doing it where it's you're reading this and you're, you're trying to place yourself in the in to the story to some degree. Mm-hmm. And you're conceiving of Jesus as the one whom your soul loves. Mm-hmm. And then you're responding appropriately, but you're kind of – I'm, I'm having a hard time even – putting words to what I'm sensing that you're doing is that you're, you're, you're applying this scripture to yourself in a way that it's like, instead of someone else telling you, preaching to you, you're Mm -hmm. preaching it to yourself. Like this is the appropriate response. And so you're trying to tune your affections. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's a very lost habit, even Mm. 
outside of the song of just going through and reading devotionally of you can actually tell yourself what to feel like mm. you're, we see that in the Psalms all the time, the Psalmist speaking to his own soul. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, it feels like that's what you're doing. I think that's right. And, and, you know, in our age of authenticity, that might sound inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is you have no idea where most of your emotions come from. And so they might come from you eating bad food the night before, right? <laughs> it might come from you not getting enough sleep or eating too much sugar or on and on and on. Those, all those things affect our mood. And so if you're going to let those things affect your mood, why wouldn't you let your own directedness of, the, of your own, the, the old school way of talking about this was it's called soliloquy. Yes. It's a conversation yeah. with myself. Um, and so why wouldn't you let soliloquy affect your mood? Why wouldn't you let you speaking to your own soul? And you're right. I get this from Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 27, I preached on recently and I realized the last verse of that is probably to himself where he says, um, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's probably talking to himself when he says that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so on and on and on we see this in the Psalms that this is how you meditate on scripture. This is how you do how you live in such a way to where your your heart we, we talk about the gap between our head and our heart. You know, my head believes this, but my heart just doesn't follow. My guess is cause you don't direct your heart. Mm-hmm. It's cause you don't actually take initiative to actually um, lead your heart. Um, or let your heart be led by Jesus. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And I'm I'm a cerebral person. Like, I can be disconnected from my emotions as much as the next, next person. Um, and and yet, I'm try, I'm really trying to, to try to um, use the scriptures and, and use my own uh, response and, and even trying to be creative and artistic in the way that I respond uh, to, to Jesus because I want that to stir up my affections for him. So you're, you're trying to cultivate your affections, maybe a shorthand way of putting it. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Um, not expecting that I'm going to have some magical moment in that in that time, but expecting that over time, that continual practice of cultivating my affections, redirecting them towards Jesus is going to have an overall cumulative effect on my love for Jesus. Yeah. Well, Ben, thanks for sharing so far what you've got in your journal. Do you have other things you want to pop into or we want to... I think that that's it for now. I'm sure we'll come back to Song of Songs, or if we don't, um, three years from now we will, and I'll three have years, more, yeah. more matured reading of, of the text. I remember Damien said that in the sermon, I think last week, like three years, you know, give it, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess it is a three-year cycle for some of these Old Testament texts. That's so right. When we're in Song of Solomon for a week, we got to lean into it with a bunch of episodes talking about it. So it was a pleasure talking about it today, and Likewise. I'll look forward to next time. Thanks, Nate. Yeah.